says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did you not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you will do it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So, we're going to cover like a bunch of different interesting things today, um, including one question that I think is like totally radical, which we'll get to that in a minute, but let me start off with this. Um, anybody that's like experienced life, has some maturity, did a little bit of living, um, I think that we know the value of a good reality check. The value of a good reality check. Uh, because, you know, some people that live off in some other planet... And it's like they're the center of their own universe and the world kind of revolves around whatever they think and whatever's going on with themselves. And they step on and they say, oh wow, this is really what it's about. This is really what's going on. And for you, I don't know how that's happened for you, probably multiple, multiple, multiple many times. Uh, for me as well. And it could start when you're younger. You know, you might think like you're really good at something. You know, maybe some kind of sport, and you think it's pretty good, because you could beat out, you know, your sisters or your brothers, and then you realize, wow, oh, I just full of kids that are like just as good as me, and oh boy, right? Or maybe it's like, you know, somebody thinks they're really good at some video games when they're younger, and then they realize, you know, your 100,000 points aren't quite as good as the 3 million, the 3 million that the kid in England is getting. Like, right, so like, you're not, it's a reality check. Um, at school... And I talk about school a lot, you know, because that's just where I spend a lot of my time. I'm constantly interacting, I'm constantly around the classroom, young guys, um, and I think it's actually a pretty good picture and snapshot of really how we are. It's just they don't know really how to hide it or cover it. Yet. So, like, I see it a lot. So, what I tell them a lot of times on the first day of class, we go through the syllabus, it's on the PowerPoint projector. I'm explaining what the class is about, what they need in the class. You know, you need your books, you need your pens, you need your pencils. You know, you need to show up, you need to be on time. Here's the grading, all that information. And then once we get through all of that kind of like administrative stuff, I tell them and I say, you know, I understand that math is not really a strength, maybe even for half, maybe not even a lot. You might not even love it. In fact, you might not even like math. And then they can start to giggle. That's funny, Mr. Murphy, okay? So, then I say, listen, if that's you, and if that's the case, I understand and I want to work with you. I said, but listen, here's the most important thing that you need to know. You need to do the best job that you possibly can to convince me that you care about this class and that you want to do well. If I'm convinced of that, when I'm at the end of the term and I'm sitting in front of that computer screen and you're right in front of me, I have the power. And I can add some stuff on there. 
I can't take stuff away, because that'd be wrong, and that'd be bad. But I have the power to help you out, and I want to help you out, contrary to popular belief. And this is like, they're really all tuned in. They're like, wait, what does this mean? Do I have to do anything? Can I just get by? Like, do I have to show up for the test? And uh, so I clarify, I know exactly what that means. But again, I emphasize the fact that, listen, convince me that you care and convince me that you want to do well. Okay, okay, okay. So they're all happy. Oh man, you fast forward like four weeks, five weeks. There's multiple students that show up. I don't have my book. I don't have my pencil. They're constantly talking with their neighbors. You got to come make up that quiz. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, so you have like these patterns starting to build up. And then we get into class. And I say, hey, listen, guys. You know, we're like a third you know, or so into this term. So some of you guys are borderline. Remember that thing that I was talking about before about convincing me that you want to do well? Like these things that you're showing me, getting up and walking around in class, not being prepared every day, not doing these things that's expected of you. Those are the things I was talking about when I was saying, convince me that you care, convince me you want to do well. Like, don't approach me with questions of, what can I do for extra credit, when, like, you're not doing anything else. You know what I mean? So, then when you say that to them, what happens is, you look at their little 16, 17, 15-year-old brains, and you see it working, and they go, and you see their eyes go, oh. Like, reality check, like, oh, I just sort of, like, got, so this is what it means. So, in the beginning, like, it sounded really good that maybe I could kind of skate by Mr. Murphy's class. But actually, it's pretty difficult and pretty hard to convince him that I care when I don't. And that I want to do well and maybe I don't really care that much about it. So it's like it's a good reality check when they see it. And it happens all the time, all the time. And again, we have our own kind of reality checks. One reality check that I think is just critical, the most important one, and honestly, the one that's on my heart, and, you know, honestly, probably the reason why... You know, I've got Paul, Julie, and I, and a team of people really start the church. Um, is that I really believe that New England, really New England, Connecticut, Naugatuck, I mean, we need like a reality check as far as who God actually is, what actually is even said in here, and what's expected of us. I don't think it's clear at all. And maybe you can relate to that as well and understand that. It's foggy at best. And we talked last week about like this idea of you know, DIY religion, where it's sort of do-it-yourself, and you kind of pick from there, and pick from there, and pick from that, and it kind of makes sense. And like, no. Like, we got to see what's really in here, and what is the God of the Bible actually saying. And then, let's have a reality check to what's actually in here, and then let's give people an ability to actually make a rational decision. They know it's actually in here, because maybe C.C. Nagy, maybe another church in town or a church over there, they got back to the Bible, they got back in it, and now people can say, well, I know what's in there, I know what it says, I don't want it. Then like, I feel like we've done part of our job. We've presented the word to the community, to people that are here, to families, and we say, hey, listen, here's what it says. Here's what God says. Here's how he feels about you. Here's what he wants to do. Here's what's part of the plan. Do you want to take a part? Then they can make that choice. I feel like we can't even get to the choice part because it's so foggy and like muddy and just all over the place to begin with. And I think that uh, Satan really loves that part. 
Because he's, I think, totally happy to be like, ha, ah, they're kind of just happy just doing what they're doing, kind of cruising through life, taking care of number one, and they're distracted. And so this passage that we talk about today, I think, like, encounters that and, like, meets it head on. Head on. Because here's the question. Here's what I think is crazy. And I, honestly, it honestly kind of scares me. So whenever I do a message up here, and like I read this stuff and go through it, and all the you know, bullet points, and maybe the pictures of the funny stories and all that stuff, like I'm like just talking to myself like a lot of the times, and it's just hitting me hard, and kind of out of the overflow of that, I'm kind of just talking about it. So here's one question that kind of rocks my world and, and kind of sobers me up for sure, um, is that, you know, someone could be going to a church, they could be serving in the church. They could be giving their money consistently. They could even be healing maybe somebody else, like a supernatural healing. And they could do that like consistently through their whole lives. And they still might not be in heaven. <coughs> I think that's cr- that's like what? <coughs> Really? Like, how does that work? And isn't like healings and like signs, especially supernatural parts, like a lot of times we would think that that's just confirmation of what God is doing. And I think that it is. But there could also be like counterfeit. Now, isn't that a little confusing? Especially if someone is even kind of new to the whole thing. Like, what the, what's going on? So I don't know. So we're going to look at some of that today. We're going to open up what's in here and see what Jesus had to say about some of that stuff. Because I think there's some very important things that he brings out in here uh, that we can easily read over, but we'll get a chance to read and look into it. So we start in verse 21. And again, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' first real sermon and message in front of a large crowd, large audience. There's been one main theme throughout the whole thing, which we'll get to at the end here when we close up. There's been one main theme, and he's going to kind of cover it as he closes here. So verse 21, we kind of pick up like mid-conversation. He says, Jesus says, that's why it's in quotes, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So right away, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. To me, that's significant. I underline that in my Bible. And I'm like, whoa, like, what does that mean? Lord, Lord, or here's some other words that you could use. Master, Master. Sir, Sir. Majesty, Majesty. King, King. Savior, Savior. You could address him with those terms. And will not enter the kingdom of heaven? People could be saying that and like not getting in. What is that all about? How does that work? How is that fair? Well, I think it brings us to our first point, which is incredibly important. First point, recognition of who he is, being Jesus. Recognition of who he is will not cause us to enter into heaven. Recognition of who he is won't cause us to get there. Because that's what they're doing. They're recognizing who he is. Oh yeah, you're Jesus. You're the Savior. You're the King. You're the guy we talk about on Easter. Like, 
You're, you're that guy. Oh, Lord, God, God. And he's going to say, no, you're, you're not a good person. Why would he do that? Why is he saying that? Well, the fact of the matter is, let me go back. The fact of the matter is, is that recognition is even done by like the demons and Satan himself. It's not really that impressive. So you recognize it. I guess that's sort of a good thing, but it's not really the goal of what we're going for here. Like, worship of Him is really the desire and what we're going for here. Not just recognition, but maybe worship of Jesus and like who He is. Devotion, commitment, those are different words now. Now, the fact of the matter is, it's kind of sad that lots of people won't even recognize it. Like, they don't have anything to do with it. Unfortunately, that's a sad and true fact. And I believe that's why he put, like, us here, he put you here, he puts you in the place where you are, wherever you're at, interacting with whoever is around you, in the hopes that you'll be praying for them. I don't know, conversations, being led and guided by the Holy Spirit circumstantial situations and, and like that's why we're in this mix because God is waiting it says in Second Peter that he's waiting you know, for people to get, commit their lives to him and become saved and that's where we play a part for maybe some of those people that just don't want anything to do with him so some people won't even recognize and that's kind of like where we come into play but others and I think this is a lot of, I think this is a fairly big group others think that they know him and they try to acknowledge him. Here's what I think is very difficult about New England, uh, the Northeast, Connecticut. Um, th- there's a lot of college degrees flying around here. There's a lot of master's degrees flying around here. There's doctorates, you know, flying around here. Uh, and they're not bad things. I'm not saying that they're bad. I think it's good to be educated, and I think it's good to be able to uh, identify and like problem solve and critically think. And I think God uses those brains in tremendous ways when surrendered to Him. But when we have a hard time, because sometimes like we could mix up like our worship, our commitment, our devotion with God, and substitute it for like a knowledge thing. Like if we just came here, see that's what the problem is with just like coming to church all the time and faithfully even coming and just hearing. That's not even going to really get the job done because then we just come here, we just fill ourselves up with a bunch of knowledge and be like, oh yeah, that's in the Bible over here, that's in the Bible over there, God said something about that. It's not really a knowledge game. The knowledge part helps, but if we don't really go anywhere with it or do anything with it, it's really just for pride's sake, really. And so the Pharisees really had the same type of problem. And so that's what that John 5 39 verse was all about. Because Jesus said, He told like the Pharisees and the scribes, He said, listen, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. They listen, like you study them, you you take that, you retain it, you know where it is, you mark it off, maybe you highlight it, maybe you underline it. You know these things because you think that by that, that's making God happy. Mm, Not so much of it, just a pursuit just for that knowledge for knowledge's sake. So this whole recognition aspect is really, it's not going to really get us anywhere. So we get to that door, Lord, Lord, God, God, King, King, I did these things, I gave my money. 
I showed up to church. I listened to these uh, things. I listened to sermons. Or what we found out down here, verse, uh, as we skip down, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, same title, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. So that's pretty crazy too. I think a little bit confusing. What? So not only if I recognize him and I even show up and do these things, but even maybe there could be the second point here, uh, demonstrating the power of God will not cause us to enter either. So recognition won't cause us to enter. Demonstration of the power of God won't cause us to enter either. So of course the first question is, how is this actually happening right in His name? Like, What is going on here? What's actually happening? Well, the first part is I think that certainly, first and foremost, that they could definitely be counterfeit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the Bible supports that. And you might remember some stories. Maybe Moses and Pharaoh, you might remember. Remember Moses and Pharaoh, and Moses uh, was called to free uh, his people, and come before Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Anybody, how many people saw the movie Prince of Egypt, just out of curiosity? It's really funny, every time like, I think about, it's, it's funny, I don't know if you guys experience this too, but every time you know, I think about you know, Pharaoh and Moses and their whole story, um, I, my brain doesn't immediately go back to where the passage is in here, it goes back to the images that I saw on the cartoon, and it's actually really accurate. And so it's pretty funny. And so in my head, you know, I'm seeing him right now. Like, it's funny. But, so you got Moses. You got Pharaoh. He goes here, let my people go. And then, uh, you know, he turns it up a notch. And then he throws down his rod. Uh, and it, it staff and becomes a snake. But then, the magicians, the sorcerers, they do the same exact thing. Counterfeit. Throw theirs down. Boom. Two of them. Throw theirs down. And then it says, and if you remember the movie, right? He eats them up. So that one staff that he had eats up both the other ones. Like, oh yeah, do with that. So then, the next one. Hey, let my people go. He's going by in a boat. If you saw it in the movie, he's going by in the boat, right on the Nile River. And he says no. So then he changed the Nile River to blood, and he said it just stunk because everything in it died, and it was just disgusting. And so then the magicians and the sorcerers, it said that they did the same thing. Which I don't really, as a side note, I don't really understand that. Like, wouldn't it have been, like, beneficial to them to, like, change it back to regular? Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Like, no, we need the water. Like, I'll change it back. Like, go ahead and do that thing again. We'll just keep on doing this. And yeah. I don't know. I don't understand it. So, then they go to the frogs. Right? First the plagues, and they go to the frogs. They do that one. They mimic that one as well. And then that's, like, their cutoff point. They can't go any further. Then comes the gnats, right, and the boils, and just all the, all the other stuff. But they could counterfeit it up until a certain point. And I definitely think that Satan can also counterfeit certainly miracles and things that are done now. So we've got to be on the lookout. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-10 says, The coming of the law, the Son, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceive those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 
And it says that when this lawless one comes. He's going to be able to do these things. But other people will as well, because Jesus himself said in Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, it says that for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive as possible, even the elect. That's scary. So then how do you know who to trust? How do you know like what's real and what's not and how that works? Well, certainly in our passage, if you were here last week, if you go back and read it, you know, verses 15, kind of through 20 there, as far as judging a tree kind of by its fruit, one way certainly to tell. You'll be able to tell if they've kind of been around for a while, what kind of life they lead, um, you know, what kind of father are they, what kind of husband are they, uh, what kind of friend are they. You'll figure some things out, things will start to develop. So certainly they could be counterfeit. And I've tried to do, you know, the best I could in just a few minutes to show you that, hey, Satan could be doing actually the same things. But also, believe it or not, these miracles and signs and wonders could be happening simply because God is just God and He just does stuff sometimes just despite of us. Like He just loves somebody so much. Even the clown who is trying to do whatever and pray and lay hands in Jesus' name, he might actually just come and reach out and touch and just bless that person. Knowing that this person is like somewhere else. But for their sake, he's going to bless them and that miracle is going to happen. Absolutely. This is a God that loves us. And that might sound kind of weird. It might not make too much sense. But trust me, it's biblical. And if you go back and read like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and it talks about you know, how the spirit works and how there's different kinds of spirits with different workings, it does happen. And it makes it difficult for us because then like, you know, you hear about people with really kind of like not good character, but yet God uses them in mighty ways sometimes. And it's like, what? How is that guy doing that? He's like an awful father. Uh, you know, and, but yet God seems to like be using him. And David is certainly a prime example of that. I mean, his whole family fell apart. It was awful. But God, you know, restored the kingdom and God called, called him a man after his own heart. What is that about? I mean, we're just you know, humans that just mess up and make mistakes and so far from perfect. You know, we are, you know, this church is, we're not technically Calvary Chapel quite yet, but we're like in the road to like affiliation. And so like if you go on the Calvary Chapel website and look for churches, you know, it's fine a couple in the state, but we're not quite on there yet because we're not done with the affiliation process. Um, and that's been kind of interesting. So let's kind of see how that goes. But we're still kind of going down that route. And uh, the way Calvary Chapel started, kind of way back when, it really kind of blew up during the 70s, the Jesus People Movement. Uh, and just a quick side note, just out of curiosity, uh, anybody ever been to the place down in Guilford? You ever been in that restaurant at the place? We just went there, uh, was that a couple weeks ago or last week? They're still living in 1971. They have the original menu, all wood right there. There's like 10 items on it. Everything's super overpriced because it's just like, for a really nostalgic thing. But to go down there, they have a huge fire pit. They had cut off these stumps, and you just sit on the stumps, and uh, they grew up a bunch of seafood and stuff. And they're still like living in 1971, and I was looking, I was like, man, I could definitely see Jesus people like here right now with guitars, long hairs, you know, no shoot on, shirt, uh, shirts and stuff on, and singing. But that's like where Calvary Chapel Movement was born. The hippies, like that's where it was. 
And one guy that was extremely instrumental and that really like helped take everything on. Okay, there's a, a main pastor, Chuck Smith, he's kind of like the main Bible teacher guy. But one guy who came along his side and really was like the evangelist, just brought young people, just brought them in. Just all these kind of like hippie people. This guy by the name of Lonnie Frisbee. Probably never heard of him. Lonnie Frisbee was instrumental. I mean, Kevin Chapel really wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't really for that guy. And when he died, um, you know, Chuck Smith said that it was a difficult funeral for him to do. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But he said that he was like a Samson-like of a guy. Incredibly gifted, but a lot of issues and problems. He ended up dying of AIDS. And a pretty sad story of how he could just like stay on track for a while. And then just the wheels would fall off. And then come back and surrender again. And the wheels would fall off again. And so, that guy, God used that guy in just a tremendous way. Despite what's going on. Because God still has a will. He still has a plan. He's still looking to get things done. And he's still working, even if we're not perfect. That's the good news, right? Even if we're not perfect, for sure. So, demonstration of the power of God, not exactly going to get us right into heaven. Not exactly. Because it could be counterfeit. And we don't know everything that's at play and God could still be working despite it. And I don't want to discount the fact that it also is a sign and confirmation that God is certainly at work. So, the obvious question then is, well, if recognition won't cause us to enter, demonstration won't cause us to enter, then what the heck does? Like, like how is this whole thing working? How do actually do we get into heaven? What matters to God then? Well, I think it is in verse 21. It says, Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only, I've got this boxed off and underlined in my Bible. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Those are the only ones that get to enter. Only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Does being an action word. Actually doing things. Not just hearing, but actually doing. Romans 2.13, which I believe we have up here, says, For it is not those who hear the law, so it's not all of us that just like come together Sunday morning, or on a Wednesday night, whatever it might be, and like listen and be really moved, and maybe be really touched by what somebody might say. That's not going to do it for us. What is going to do it, but it's those who obey it, they're, they're going to be declared righteous. So just hearing it and building up knowledge, building up this sort of just knowledge bank, and maybe even being convicted and moved, and not taking it anywhere else and just leaving it <coughs> wherever you were, not a wise choice. Not a wise choice. Doesn't work. And speaking of wise and foolish, that's the next part. Verse 24. It says, The wise and foolish builders. If you've had any contact with general contractors, you know that there's some wise and foolish builders for sure. Uh, that is for sure. Uh, my dad has a uh, place up north, uh, and uh, he's trying to sell it. And it's a really nice place, nice piece of property. There's a lake right there. Um, pretty, pretty nice, good-sized house. I just can't afford it. You know, it's just too much money. And uh, as we were building it and getting it ready, um, 
what we had to do is had to clear out all the land. Got all the land at the other side, and just clearing stuff out. And then we brought some machines in, and then uh, we brought in some young backs, some young backs in there, and a couple of friends, and we went in there and clearing things out. And it's on some ledge, so it's a pretty good foundation. We could build right on top of that. Only problem is, like in many, uh, much ground in the world, it's not perfectly level. Would have made things a lot easier to build on if God just made the world really perfectly flat and it was made so quick, nice and easy and done. But it wasn't. So we had this guy come down, a local guy in town. This is really kind of out in the sticks. There's not a lot of choices. Who you get is who you get, really. Whoever's closest by. Whether he's wise or foolish, good, not so good. So he shows up, kind of an interesting, funny guy. Um, there's a lot of guys like that on the job sites that you meet. And uh, so he's there, you know, we're all working hard, all of us young backs, everybody there, you know, we're moving all these rocks, we're picking up these big, heavy forms, setting them into place, and so you set all these forms, kind of on, on the perimeter of the foundation, they come in, they pour the concrete in there, um, and then you got to wait for it all to settle. The assumption is that you get a pretty good guy who's done a foundation or two before, and it's all level. And then you can just start building right on top. That way, you don't have to waste any time trying to like level the parts where you're going to put the wood. Because then that eats up a whole bunch of time. Now you're wasting time. So that's not good. And so uh, we happened to get a not-so-bright one. And so we had to spend a lot of time, like almost every foot. Okay, is it level from here to here? Okay, it's a level from there to there. And then so you go around the whole thing. And we have to do what's called padding it out, kind of adjusting the height of it to make sure it's sitting on a nice, firm, level, solid foundation. We have to do all that. And so, man, that was just like a glaringly obvious picture of the type of foundations and foundation work and what could go wrong and what's involved. Many people might know of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Don't know anybody ever been there? Really? That's pretty awesome. I never been there. But it looks pretty cool. Uh, and every time I see it, I just laugh. I'm like, what? This looks so bizarre. You know, just leaning over like that. Uh, and so the mistake they made uh, was that they built on a bad foundation. Uh, early 1500s. So they were uh, deciding about how they're going to build it. Take a look at the ground underneath. And they said, oh, this clay, clay, this clay should be hard enough. Should be okay. It should stay. After three stories up, it started to lean. So then they just stopped. Then they picked it up again, then they stopped. Then they picked it up again, then they stopped. So it took like 170 years or something like that. And it only goes down 10 feet. That's it. So this building that's like 190 feet tall only goes down 10 feet, and it's like on soft clay. What is going on? So apparently they didn't really think this thing through too much. And so now, uh, when you go there, you would know better than me, um, they have counterweights on one side of it to hold it up, and then they also have a cable, so people can actually go in there and kind of go check it out, you know? And so that's, a, again, a glaringly obvious illustration of the importance of a solid foundation, and what can happen over time. So, what does Jesus say? Not really a carpentry lesson, he's trying to get somewhere. So he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, I got boxed off hears, and puts them, I box off puts. So everyone who hears, everybody say hears. Hears. 
And then puts or say puts. Someone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It says the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So here's what Jesus is saying. Everyone who hears, so they come here. So it is good to come to church, to show up, to listen, to take it in, to mark up our Bibles, to take notes, to show up to Bible studies, and to hear it. Good. Very good. That in and of itself, not enough to get us to heaven. There's a second part. The second part puts them into practice. That's what the wise foundation looks like. So we're really talking about obedience here. So wise obedience is hearing it and then actually doing it. Just having one part just won't work. Just hearing it and just absorbing things. And if you're just doing, doing, doing all the time, being busy, and people who struggle a lot with like accomplishing and getting things done and trying to feel productive, they don't take the time to really hear. What are you doing? You're just a busybody. Like you need to relax and like let God guide some of that busyness like where you're going. You've been gifted in a good way. Some people just like never get busy. They just sit on the push all the time. And so it's good like to be busy and like want to do things and want to accomplish, but like the guiding has to be there. And that takes time to hear that. And so we need both. We need both. And then it says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And it says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, or clay, right? The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And really, it's not like if the storms are going to come. It's more like when. And anybody who's lived life and experienced it and has really any depth at all to their lives, they know that like the storms are coming. And the question is, like, when is the next one coming? And is that foundation of obedience really there? Because if it is, we can go back to maybe that past storm and say, oh my goodness, like things were falling apart. My job situation was horrible. So-and-so was sick. I could never really get like silent. It didn't even feel like God hurt me half the time. But I tried to like stay committed and stay faithful. And you'll remember that from the last time. Because that was your foundation, that foundation of obedience. Hopefully we have that like to look back on. We want to build that up. Here's what I think is really difficult for people who like just came to know Christ. If I was saying, I would like come after them and just dump the whole world on them. Because then they can't look back at the past and be like, oh, I just trusted in Jesus. And I prayed. And he pulled me through. And I was at the Bible study. And these people came along my side. They don't have that. I would come after hard. And I think certainly Satan does that too. But after, you know, some people have been around for a long time. Like, we want to make sure that we're building on that foundation as much as we possibly can. And God will build that thing like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That thing will be solid. And then it's going to go out. And so that's what we want to tell people. Like, let's build on the rock. We want to build on Jesus Christ. Like, families built on Jesus Christ 
are good, the best. They will go where God wants them to go. Marriage is built on Jesus Christ is the best. That's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to share. That's what, like, my heart is. That's what I'm hoping we do as a church. We get out there and tell them, listen, Jesus Christ is the best. And I just don't want it to be theoretical. I want to be able to back it up with stories of my life. Or you guys have stories from your lives. Because you can't deny that stuff. That's a true story, a true witness, a true testimony. And if we just come and hear, just hang out, like, it's going to give no depth really to what we're saying. And then the person on the other end is not stupid. They're going to be like, listen, you're not even really buying into what you're selling, so I don't know how serious I'm going to take you. So it certainly is my hope that God like will build, you know, first of all, you know, myself, my family, and a firm foundation. And that God, as we move forward here, you know, with this church, that we'll build on a firm foundation. You know, being Jesus Christ, that life in Him is where it's at. And we're just get battled every step of the way. It's just a battle every step of the way. Because Satan knows the same thing. There's no stranger. <coughs> so as we close here, two questions. Two questions as we close. Question number one. What have we been building on? Right? Or better yet, have I moved beyond the recognition stage in my faith? Have I moved beyond the recognition stage? Like, that's an important question to ask ourselves. Am I just at the place where, like, I could say, Lord, Lord, yes, Jesus, God, you know, like, I think that, like, you know, He came, He, you know, did His thing here on earth, and He rose again, and I think so. Yeah, sure, okay. But is it beyond that? Like, is it worshipful? Can you actually relate to that song to stand, or is it just, like, nice words, and is it kind of poetic? Is it actually, like, a lifestyle cry for you? Or is it something that, like, other people cry out? That's a good question to ask yourself. And that's a good question to be at. And you want to be as honest as possible. Because there is no tricking or fooling God. You know, I don't know how many people when they get up there are saying, Lord, Lord, take me in. I don't know how many of them are, like, purposeful posers. Or some of them just really, like, didn't know you. Like, some of them thought they might have really been tricking God. Oh, Lord, let me in. Like, I did this stuff. He's like, get out of here. But then some people might get there and be like, oh, my Lord. And I'm just going to be like... But maybe they just honestly didn't know. Maybe they were so locked into some sort of, you know, lifestyle and shelter from things that maybe they just didn't know the difference. And so that's like where he wants the church to step in as well and try and help them out. So what have we, what have I been building on? Good question to ask yourself. And the second question is, can you do the two-step? We're not talking about dancing, right? But can you do the two-step? Then you got to come show us. So come up here and show us. No, I'm just kidding. But can you do the two-step? What, what is the two-step? Hear and do. That's really it. That's it. It's two steps. Try not to make things complicated here. I'm not that bright. So here and there. That's really it. Do we just like stay in the hearing part? Or do we stay in the doing part? Or do we like not show up for any of it? But if we're a true Christian, true follower, and we want to be in heaven with Christ, 
And we want to have a rich Christian life. We've got to have the two-step down. The two-step has to be down. It's got to be. It's a life of listening and doing. Hearing and doing. So what we're going to do is we're going to play uh, one last song here. Uh, just reflecting. As far as like what Jesus did. And really that cost like to get to heaven. And so I just encourage you during that time to really think about these things. As far as what have we been building on. And maybe asking for God's strength and courage. Uh, and ability to really handle that two step well. And so we'll play the song and then, and then we'll come back after the song and stand and pray together.